The Lord be with you. Welcome back to Home Worship this week. And congratulations, you finished summer and we've made it through this season and through another series in Ruth as we come to the end of that today. And that's not insignificant, friends. If you're like me, you need some extra encouragement these days. And that's one of our roles as brothers and sisters in Christ, to encourage one another along in the faith. It's tough under these circumstances to remain faithful when we don't have regular weekly worship in person, when there's no Sunday school for our kids, when we can't gather together like we're used to gathering. It's easy to get worn down by all that change and by the weight of mourning a normal that's lost and gone forever. But keep going. Remember what's important. Remember the importance of worship, of spending time in the Word, and of doing it with other Christians. Remember the work that our liturgy and worship does in you and through you, that the rhythms of our worship, even and maybe even especially now, as we're separated physically from one another, are working to shape our hearts to love Jesus more fully. Remember who you are in Christ. Remember who you want to be. And don't backslide because this season makes it so much more difficult. Find encouragement in one another as you need it. Find encouragement in the Spirit, the great encourager and advocate. This season's an opportunity to grow muscles we haven't used very much in the past in our faith. But don't give up. Continue to pursue Christ. As I said, we're finishing up our series on Ruth today. We've been talking about hesed, steadfast love, loyalty, loving kindness. We've seen how faithfulness in the ordinary things leads to extraordinary fruit in the lives of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. We've seen the faithfulness, the hesed that Ruth has shown to her mother-in-law, Naomi, that Boaz has shown to Ruth, and the far greater hesed that God shows to all of them through this story. And this week, we're going to end the whole series by looking at the fullness of hesed, its absolute climax from the history of all humanity. Are you ready? One of the categories undergirding this whole story of Ruth is that of Goel, kinsman redeemer. It's Boaz who plays that role in the story, and we've talked about it quite a bit. The role of Redeemer is set out in Leviticus 25. The Redeemer is put in place to redeem either the land of a family member who's had to sell it off in financial hardship, or the family members themselves if they've had to sell themselves off into slavery. In each instance, provision is made in Israel's law for how the land or the person would be redeemed out of slavery or having been sold. And there are three requirements for a kinsman redeemer. They had to be a close relative. Actually, they had to be the nearest relative. They had to have the financial means to pay the ransom, as it was called, to redeem the land or the person. And they had to be willing to do it. In the story of Ruth, we saw how Boaz fit into each of those categories. 
He's a closely related family member. And when a closer relative is found, he is given first option to redeem. It's only when he refuses that Boaz steps in. We find that Boaz has the means to buy Elimelech's land and, in fact, to marry Ruth to provide offspring. And, of course, he's willing to do so. He says as much to the other relative, and he does as much when he's given the opportunity. And so Boaz acts faithfully, redeeming Ruth and Naomi. And at the end of chapter 4, we hear the women in the village of Bethlehem singing together to Naomi, who was empty and is now filled. Praise be to the Lord, who has not left you without a Redeemer. Praise the Lord, who has not left you without a Redeemer. Praise the Lord indeed. As Christians, it's hard to hear that line without also thinking something about Ruth and Boaz's greatest descendant, Jesus, our Redeemer, It's quite common to talk of Jesus as our Redeemer. Think of all the hymns and songs you may be familiar with that use that title for Jesus. We talk about being redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, maybe, and yet we seldom stop to think about what that really means. Because the only place in our culture where we use this concept of redemption is for coupons. So what does it really mean to redeem Well, Jesus as our Redeemer finds its roots right here in this long history of Goel, the kinsman Redeemer. So what I want to do for the rest of our time is to think about how Jesus steps into that role of Goel, Redeemer, not just for one or two people, but for all of humanity in the greatest showing of hesed, steadfast love, faithfulness, mercy that the world has ever seen. So to start, and before we hear our scripture passage this morning, I want to invite you to pray with me. Lord, it's in your light that we see light. It's in your truth that we find freedom, and in your way that we find peace. So come and shine upon us as we open your word, that we may hear your truth and follow in your ways. To the glory of your holy name, amen. Do whatever you need to do to listen well to these words from the book we love, from Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26. But now, God's righteousness has been revealed apart from the law, which is confirmed by the law and the prophets. God's righteousness comes through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, for all who have faith in him. There's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory, but all are treated as righteous freely by his grace because of the ransom that was paid by Christ Jesus. Through his faithfulness, God displayed Jesus as the place of sacrifice where mercy is found by means of his blood. 
He did this to demonstrate his righteousness in passing over sins that happened before, during the time of God's patient tolerance. He also did this to demonstrate that he is righteous in the present time and to treat the one who has faith in Jesus as righteous. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. As we think about Jesus, our Redeemer, it's important to first talk about why we need redeeming. As Paul lays it out here in Romans 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. As Paul says in Romans 6, we are slaves to sin, and the wages of sin is death. We have not been faithful to God and lived as God would have us lived. And if you don't yet buy into some notion of an arbitrary standard of living imposed upon you by God who made you for himself, then I would imagine that you can still at least concede that you don't live up to even your own best intentions for yourself. That if you wrote down or recorded all the things you've said in your life that other people should do, that across your life, you would not have even lived up to that standard you set for others. And that's just your standard. This helps us to see how Scripture often refers to us being slaves to sin or bound by it. Because no matter how hard we struggle against it on our own, we can never quite escape its grasp. And even when we begin to think that we are, are doing well and, and doing good, we come to find at a deeper layer underneath it all that we're only doing good to look good or to avoid punishment and find that even our best deeds are simply motivated by self-interest. We're slaves to sin and death. And the wages of sin are death. We need a redeemer. And so in terms of the, the goel in the Old Testament, we said there are three requirements. They had to be closely related, the closest relative. They had to have the means to redeem. And they had to be willing to redeem us. So let's see how Jesus fits into those requirements. Number one, a closely related family member. The Redeemer had to be the closest related kinsman. It wasn't just anyone who could step in and fill this role, which means that for Jesus to be our Redeemer, he has to be our kin. Well, it's no accident that the church, from the very beginning, has emphasized both Jesus' humanity and divinity that in Jesus we find both all the fullness of God dwelling bodily, as Paul said, and one who's like us in every way, yet without sin, as the author of Hebrews says. Check out how Hebrews 2 puts it. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he also shared in the same things in the same way. He did this to destroy the one who holds the power over death, the devil, by dying. He set free those who were held in slavery their entire lives by their fear of death. Of course, he isn't trying to help angels, but rather he's helping Abraham's descendants. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every way 
This was so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in things relating to God in order to wipe away the sins of the people. He's able to help those who are being tempted since he himself experienced suffering when he was tempted. To set us free from slavery, Jesus had to share in flesh and blood like us. He had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every way to help those who are flesh and blood. He had to experience temptation to help those who are tempted. Christians believe that Jesus is God taking on flesh to come and dwell among us. Is God becoming human and moving into the neighborhood, as Eugene Peterson translated it. God became like us, became a member of the human family to be able to do something about our slavery to sin. So Jesus is closely related. Well, what about requirement two? The means to redeem us. The Redeemer has to have the means to pay the ransom, to buy back the land or buy the family member back out of slavery. Does Jesus have the means to pay our ransom? Well, Christians believe he does. Here, 1 Peter 1, 18-19, Live in this way, knowing that you were not liberated by perishable things like silver or gold from the empty lifestyle you inherited from your ancestors. Instead, you were liberated by the precious blood of Christ, like that of a perfect, spotless lamb. The ransom Christ pays is his own precious blood as the perfect, spotless lamb. Jesus, remember, is like us in every way, yet without sin. The only human being to ever live a faithful life and offer it back to God. And yet, he's not just the fullness of humanity as it was created to be. He is also God enfleshed. And so as he offers his life, his blood for us, he offers both perfect human flesh and his divinity to pay the ransom for us. And what could be more precious? Jesus is our close relative, like us in every way. Jesus has the means to save us by his perfect, spotless life. But is he willing? That third requirement. Is he willing to do so? If we're enslaved to sin, if we all sin and fall short of God's glory, as Paul said there in Romans 3, are we worth such a worthy gift? Well, these are his own words in John 10. Jesus says, This is why the Father loves me. I give up my life so that I can take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I give it up because I want to. I have the right to give it up, and I have the right to take it up again. And of course, we know that Jesus was willing to pay our ransom because he did. No respected scholar denies that there was a man named Jesus of Nazareth who existed in the first century and was executed by the Roman government in Jerusalem. 
They may disagree about why he was crucified. They may disagree about what significance it holds. They certainly disagree about whether or not he was resurrected. But it is clear that he was crucified. And here in John 10, we find his own understanding of what he was doing when he was. He lays down his life for us. And those closest to him, those who claim to have witnessed his resurrection and to have met him alive after his death, those who were killed because they held to those claims, believed that what Jesus did was give his life as a ransom for many, that by his blood Jesus paid the ransom, that we might be redeemed out of slavery to sin and death and become righteous to God, that we might be set free from death to life, that Jesus became like us in every way, our family member, in order to give his perfect life as a ransom for ours. Jesus is our Redeemer, our Goel. It's Jesus who pays the ransom with his own blood, with his own life, to buy us out of slavery and death. Praise be to the Lord who has not left us without a Redeemer. Amen? Well, that's all interesting and whatnot, but so what, right? Well, here's the so what. Here's the therefore. Scripture is clear about this in a hundred different places in a hundred different ways, but this one is, in my opinion, the most compelling. It's 1 Corinthians 6, the end of 19 into 20. Paul says, You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. In the Old Testament, when God brings Israel out of slavery, he brings them out to be God's new holy people set apart for God in the world. As Paul talks about it, we're brought out of slavery to sin to be a slave to Christ, as Paul introduces himself a number of times. He talks about taking off the old clothes to put on the clothes of Christ. You've been redeemed. But guess what? That means you're not your own anymore. You were bought with a price. In the early days of the pandemic, six months ago, back when things were just starting to get bad here in New Jersey, we were starting to get a lot of news stories out of Italy where things were really bad as a warning about where we might be going and what was to come. The hospitals there were overrun. There weren't enough rooms or beds or healthcare workers and worst of all, ventilators. And doctors and nurses had to make decisions about which patients to save and which ones to just let die. Things were awful and desperate. And in the midst of all that, a story came out like a bright ray of light. It was the story of an Italian priest, of a priest who refused a ventilator 
in order that it be given to a younger patient of a priest who soon succumbed to COVID and died, of a priest who selflessly, as an act of pure grace, chose to die in order to allow another person whom he didn't know, whom he would never meet, to live. And all I could think about in hearing that story is what it must be like to be the person who got that ventilator. The person whose life was saved because a man chose to die for you. What would it be like to know in such a tangible way that you are alive because someone else died for you? What would the rest of your life be like? What would you do? Things could never be the same, could they? How could they? you would be changed forever. Your life would be lived in that debt, in a debt you could never pay off. And yet I also think that you would pay off that debt each day with joy and gratitude. I don't think you would ever tire of paying off that debt for what was freely given to you as a gift. Friends, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. You have been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. A life was given for yours. So what are you going to do about it? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.